0: Orange is the New Black Season 4 is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recap. As we come to the very end of this, what has turned out to be a really incredible 13-episode run. And I am here with my usual co-host, Taylor Cotter. Hello, Taylor. Hi,
1: everybody. But we
0: also have a couple of very, very special guests from the Ravisa Podcast Post Show Recaps universe. Um, You may know him from his many recaps of Once Upon a Time, Celebrity Apprentice, how many other things am I forgetting, Mike Bloom?
2: A myriad. I feel like I could fill a whole prison with the amount of coverage that I do across the Rob Has a Podcast universe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we also have with us on the line this week, our very special guest uh, who began her illustrious Rob Has a Podcast career as the intern for News AF and is now branching out into many, many other wonderful arenas. Hello, Lita Brillman.
3: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm great. So tell us all a little bit about what you've been doing lately.
3: Um, so I do the American Ninja Warrior Rehop Up with Taryn Armstrong, who is great. And I met in person yesterday on my RHAP tour of the Northeast. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm still doing News AF. Um, you know, just living, living the reality TV binge
0: life. You know, it's a, it's a hard life. It's it is.
3: <laughs> with, of course, some time for scripted shows like Orange is the New Black.
0: Yes, indeed. And I think, well, anybody that doesn't make time for this show is really doing themselves a disservice because this was, this was, I would, I would say this might be the best season we've had so far. What do you guys think?
2: Ooh.
1: I agree. Um, And I know when we started, I was very uh, down Uh, our first episode. I was not impressed. I was thought there was so much exposition and like we had to cover so much. But I love the fact that they narrowed down the storyline at the end. And narratively, I would 100 percent agree that this is our best
3: season.
2: I'm I'm still unsure as to whether I want to go with that, just because this already seems like a very different show from what we experienced in the first season i mean i know when i watched the preview for this season that came out a couple months before the season released they're definitely steered into the curve with this whole okay we're a drama now thing after the emmys kind of made this what i think is a bs type of ruling of how comedies can only be half an hour so orange is the, in the, is the new black is put in the drama category so it seems like they are saying all right if we're a drama then let's go whole haul." this seems like a much different show from the very kind of quirky comedy that we saw in the first season and that genji cohan is used to making that being said i'm not mad at it i think this was a very good stretch of episodes but i'm still trying to figure out as to whether this still feels like orange is the new black to me
3: yeah i would agree and say that i could potentially get on board with uh this being the best season that said it was not my favorite season and i think i'll always like the first season the best um just because I wasn't like scared all the time. It was a lot easier to binge because I wasn't like, Oh God, something terrible is going to happen where I just felt this season and similar with season two. Cause V was so scary. Um, it was easier for me to watch seasons like one and three that were a little bit lighter.
0: Yeah, I guess that is an important distinction to make. Like, I certainly think that, especially after we've seen these last three episodes, we got to say this is really a masterwork of television. And it's well written, it's well acted, and it's an emotional gut punch. But, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't, in it that wouldn't necessarily be into that. And, you know, sometimes that's not what you want out of your television. And it's just as well executed when it is a comedy. And I would, I would agree that some episodes, if I was going back to watch, rewatch an episode of the program, I probably wouldn't necessarily pick something from this season. I might go back to a simpler time when it was entertaining and not, you know, a giant think piece that makes you cry for an hour.
1: Right. I think something uh, probably important to note we're recording this podcast on July 16th, which is about a month after the show dropped on Netflix. Uh, And in between June 16th and July 16th, uh, the state of the country and the world has been uh, wild and terrible. And so many things that uh, resonate now talking about this episode weren't even, you know, necessarily top of mind when I was watching this episode a couple weeks ago. So I think there's just a wild amount of context here that uh to put on these last three episodes that uh really kind of inform how people probably watched it.
0: I mean, starting with a joke in the opening scenes of episode 11 and to contextualize this, the first time I saw episode 11 was the same weekend of the shooting in Orlando. -hmm. And they drop an AR fifteen joke on you, yeah,
2: in Walmart.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was that was a little bit shocking and upsetting for reasons that they probably couldn't have even predicted.
1: Totally, and uh, we'll we'll go how we normally go and go episode by episode when we go through this. But to think that, like, uh, like you know, that the cliffhanger for this season is, uh, you know, someone potentially shooting, you know. uh, not, a, you know, an actual police officer, but a corrections officer, all of this is so relevant and charged. And there's, you know, so much just emotional weight in these last three episodes that had they come out, had the same storyline been released a year ago or two years ago, I think people would be thinking of it a lot differently even though you know this is all stuff that has been pressing issues for years now if not you know an entire lifetime in history of the united states uh but that it's just so you know we're getting it from all angles and we're talking about this show that really uh takes those issues into the forefront
2: that being said, you talk about taking things from all angles, but I believe I learned the other day that I don't know if Orange is the New Black has any women of color in their writer's room.
3: They, so, they have they have a Latino woman and an Asian woman. They have no black women. So that race.
2: being said, as much as I can, we can sort of champion this storyline as being very relevant and bringing issues to the forefront that uh, are obviously very prevalent, especially as of late it still is kind of coming from an angle that does not have that much experiential touch with the issue. So I I, I kind of have to get take it with a little trepidation of like, great that we're hearing about this. That being said, we are hearing about it from people that have not outright experienced the injustice that is going on.
3: Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail um, as we get to the end of the season. But I think that that definitely shows through in a lot of parts. The lack of diversity on the st- on the writer
0: staff. Yeah, I would agree. There were some parts that didn't feel as visceral as they maybe could have.
2: Yeah, it was the equivalent of uh, those '80s comedians that say like, "And white people do this, but black people." Do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs>
0: Well, with all that, let's just dive in then. And we should start with episode 11. And near the beginning of the season, I think I will refresh everybody's memory uh, because we're going back a little while now. Uh, Taylor and I were talking about what we would hope to find out this season about various characters. And one of the things I was really advocating for was I wanted that piece of Suzanne's backstory that we didn't have. And can I just say that now I kind of wish I didn't know this? (sighs) Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, so what did you think? Does that mean that like it was so horrifying that you wish you, you know, you wish you were in the dark about it or you thought that it was kind of like a lame way to find out how she hurt someone? Because I'm I'm kind of in the latter camp. I thought the just talking about the flashback in general and that main scene that ended off Suzanne's flashback sequence this episode, I thought the cinematography behind it and the whole course of events was a little awkward it just kept it just kept repeating the same beat over and over again, and I I think they were really trying to heighten the situation, but to me it just sort of came off like okay, let's just wait for something bad to happen, something bad to happen, always climbing onto the fire escape, great. And I don't want to I don't want to hold Suzanne that culpable about what happened. I mean, this kid I know he was trying to get away, but. Dude, if you're climbing onto the fire escape, run down it. Don't position yourself up against the rail. You know how flimsy those are in New York. (laughs) You're a real victim-blame. I'm judging you, five-year-old child. What's wrong with you? Yeah, be smarter, kid.
3: Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely easy to see where it was going once it got to that scene where they were playing video games. That said, I think um, that it was painful and hard to watch. But I think it was also really well done. And I thought that it was a good reason for Suzanne to be in prison for what we know about her. And it was interesting and nuanced. And I would have never thought about something like that happening before, which is something that we see a lot with uh, with these people. I think you think of people in prison as like, oh, they stole or they murdered or whatever. Whereas really, there's for as many criminals as are in there, as many people there are in there, there are as many different reasons for them to be in there. What do you think, Jess?
0: Well, yeah, I I would agree. I think both. It was a horrible thing to have to witness. And in fact, when I went to rewatch it yesterday, so I'd have this all fresh in my mind, I fast forwarded through all those flashbacks because I, uh, you know, I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. And I also think it could have been better executed. So on both counts, it's like, well, okay, we got that now. I don't have to speculate it on it anymore, but. It really did feel like they were shoehorning it into a place where they know the public wanted it. So we're just going to come up with something that is plausible and also really terrible and wrenching to watch. And so, you know, something can have an emotional effect on you without necessarily being particularly well done. And I think this could have been done a lot better.
1: Yeah, weirdly, it didn't really tell us anything new about Suzanne as a person, right? Like it told us this event that happens that we had all been really waiting to find out what happened. And I think that to me was fulfilling in it could have been told in a single sentence probably, but um, the flashback, like I'm glad we know what happened and it feels... Correct and earned. But the flashback itself was just like, yeah, Suzanne's same personality just ended up getting herself into trouble. And to contrast that with some of the others we got this season, like particularly uh, Maritza, that at least, you know, when we had said that that was maybe one of the weaker flashbacks of the season, but it at least told us something new about her and gave us a lot of interesting uh, backstory to her, even though what it was didn't have the biggest effect on the season. This had not a lot of effect on the season and didn't super tell us anything new. So I was excited about new information that we had waited for for a long time, but at the end of the day, I don't know if it was the most perfectly executed flashback.
2: The interesting thing to me about this flashback sequence is that both of the times we've seen Suzanne in flashback, I mean, both in this episode and in the season one finale that turns out we find out in the season two episode, she has this she's like the Hulk. She has a penchant for becoming very physically aggressive when she gets kind of riled up but in none of her flashbacks do we see that at all and i think Mm -hmm. what the assumption that at least i made and i assume you guys made it as well which is like okay i'm assuming she went to prison because she beat up slash might have killed someone just by kind of seeing red as she does sometimes not red the person uh red (laughs) the figurative mood but it just sort of was just you know wailing on someone to the point of you know extreme assault but we didn't see that at all it turns out to be a big reversal like you said which sort of is the mo of a lot of these flashbacks that turns out that it was more so accidental or led on by her intentions instead of her kind of going aggro so to have her kind of only go aggro inside the prison speaks kind of towards this animal symbol to me i mean this the 12th episode is going to be called the animals those are the first two words that is sung in the theme song that we hear every episode and so i feel like suzanne really becomes the caged animal that we talk about a lot when we talk about prison in that like she seemed pretty full loose and fancy free reasonably speaking outside of prison but putting her within this waltz has really riled her up
1: I want to make one small point that, uh, I know we have a lot to talk about here, but in general, I am kind of unimpressed when on TV shows, they give someone some sort of mental illness or mood disorder and, uh, or, um, and don't do it justice by, uh, kind of naming it or saying what it is or why someone's that way. Like, I think the most famous case of this is on uh, the big bang theory that you have a character like Sheldon and people ask these writers all the time, Oh, does Sheldon have Asperger's? Does he have autism? And they're like, no, 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 because we don't want to be culpable if we misrepresent that. And I think with a character like Suzanne, that is so unique and interesting. And you're really trying to figure out the background of this character and then for them after four years to not not only not just name it but not even give us enough information so that this could be a character that, if isn't relatable, is someone who is that we can you know get in their head a little bit i I kind of think it's weak, and I was hoping that something like, like we still don't really know what's going on in suzanne's head like is she developmentally delayed does she have a learning disability, does she have a mental illness and Uh, for them to at this point not say it I think is mildly irresponsible and kind of I don't like building up this character for comic relief and even though it's not comic relief in the traditional sense it kind of feels like that sometimes
3: yeah I will say one thing that I really did get out of this flashback that I think relates to the violence that she exhibits is that she really sees herself and behaves like a child and a lot of the time When children get upset, they'll, you know, beat their fists against someone. But because they're a child, there aren't really any ramifications. But when you're a full grown, strong person and react that way, obviously, you see that a lot more. So it might even be less that she totally loses control and intends to hurt somebody. And just that, like, she doesn't understand that she has the capabilities and the responsibilities of an adult. And I think we saw that a lot in the flashback that she really only related to children.
0: Well, yeah, it's true. And I think one of the things that we're seeing these beats repeated over and over, especially in these last three episodes is that the mental health care in the prison is so inadequate that they really do just have the one label. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you're crazy. We're going to drag you off to this Arkham Asylum style place where people scream all the time. And there's like crazy and not crazy. And those are the labels. And I don't know how much of that is intentional and how much of that is just lazy writing. But that's, you know, that's one way I guess I could fanwank the nebulous uh, failure to label. And we learn a few like kind of cosmetic things, I guess, about Suzanne. Like she lives with her sister and she's not necessarily independent enough that she could live on her own. But she does hold down a job and she does seem to live in this sort of kid world where she plays video games all the time and her friends are all five years old. But yeah, I would have liked to see more. I'd like to know more about why she is the way she is. And we're just not, we're not getting that as much as we're getting, she does these things because she is the way she is, but we're not going to tell you what that is.
1: Right. I think, I think that's important to know. And I, I like, it leaves me wanting more, which I guess is still, you know, I have a feeling that Suzanne's going to be a character on this show for a long time. So, uh, filling in more of those gaps i think is probably inevitable
0: but it is a huge departure again from the season one character where all we got out of her in the first few episodes was she wanted to hook up with piper and piper rejected her so she peed on piper's floor right like, this is a much more nuanced character than that so i guess we got to give him props for that i appreciate that and props mm-hmm. to uzo aduba all the props yes. To uzo Aduba. <laughs> yes she's amazing that is true
1: Cool. Uh, So let's talk about that's probably the biggest thing in this episode, which is unfortunate because it's, you know, a real crux episode before we get into the last two that are mind blowing. Uh, But a lot of the other things that happen here are set
0: up. Yeah, it's it's really once again, it's like putting the chess pieces in place.
2: Even though we just had a pretty momentous event happen at the end of the previous episode when they decide to dig a pipeline right through the garden. And this is where we find parts of the body. And, you know, in terms of the portrayal of the guards this season, obviously, they'll become even more of a big bad in the next two episodes. I would say this might be maybe my least favorite part of the season. I feel like. As much as Genji Kohan may be making a compl- uh, uh, some sort of commentary on, a, on a, I don't know like PTSD or the inadequate training of some law officials, these guys felt way too one note for me. And we start to really see it here as well when you know you have Humphrey in particular saying like Let's round up all the people that we think might have murdered someone, and then I'm going to make them fight. And then even you know you have Piscatella in the in future episodes like depriving Red of sleep and it's clear that when Caputo kind of gives them marching orders before going to MCC that these guys are not going to take it whatsoever and this is really the inmates running the asylum.
0: Well that's that's very true. Um although I think I think we do get a couple of scenes that I thought were very humanizing um especially in light of later events but you have you have Donuts having to sit out in the middle of the, in the middle of the garden, like guarding the crime scene. And you have Bailey like coming back visiting them. And they're like, maybe the two sympathetic guards that we have left, especially since we've lost, um, almost everybody. Like there's them and there's Lucek. And then you have this whole like mass of new guards that have come in this season that we really, that, Really haven't done very much to comport themselves well, but I really loved Bailey and Donuts sitting in the middle of the garden, reading Stephen King in the middle of the night. I thought that was, that's pretty much the last thing you want to read while you are stuck outside by yourself at night.
2: Yeah, I wonder if uh, I wonder if Donuts got to the gangbang part before he fell asleep. <laughs> oh
0: God. Well, I was just thinking like, he looked like he was maybe 30 pages in and the very first chapter has what I thought was the most disturbing thing apart from the gangbang.
2: Yeah, a little boy getting sucked down the sewer. Uh, just like getting pushed off a fire escape this episode. Bad things are happening <laughs> to children.
3: <laughs> um, are we saying that Coates is sympathetic? Because I, I don't agree with that.
0: I find him so complicated and you know I wouldn't have said like maybe up until up until the last scene he had with Pennsylvania I would have said no he's not sympathetic but I think they've done a very good job of portraying him as someone who does have a conscience. Like, even though he did this horrible thing that you find it almost impossible for someone to forgive him for, he is still someone who views the people he works with and for as human beings. Yeah, he did this terrible thing. I don't like him very much, but I do occasionally find him very sympathetic. Yes.
2: And context is interesting as well, because let's remember last season compared to our usual old guard, literally, Coach came off as by far like the least likable guard because of what he did. He came off as almost the Humphrey of the old set right. of guards. But now... That he's in it, he's basically working with monsters. Now he seems like I want to, I don't want to go so far as to say sympathetic, but he at least seems a little more humanized. Bailey is probably the the most at the far end of that spectrum. And you know, you talk about foreshadowing. We even get a little bit of what's going to happen next episode with the two of them talking and Coates being very, very clear about how he just feels that this is a job. No matter what happens, you at the end of the day, you pack up your things, you go home, and you don't think about it. They're gonna have another conversation in the next episode in the church about it but it's very clear that Bailey does not feel the same way in terms of leaving your work behind you.
1: Right. I think that uh this is probably very similar to the conversation that we would have about Bailey in the next two episodes that this is all some weird shade of gray. And like it's a shade of gray in the end of that like their actions are so reprehensible, but as people they are so Uh, maybe dumb isn't the right word but like inept yeah they don't uh, like they truly 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 don't grasp the reality of what they're doing and i think it's it's hard like yeah and that's why i think like maybe sympathetic is the wrong word because it's like you can't really have sympathy for that but i think there's a way of understanding that uh there's a difference between the show and i think they really nail this in these last two episodes between like evil and ignorant and mm-hmm. both the results are kind of the same uh so it doesn't really make a huge difference which one you are but i think what they're really trying to hammer that home in the storytelling
3: yeah and the bar is so low for these
1: CEOs.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> And again, like this is something we'll get into in the next episode, but if you're if you're stacking all of these guards in a row like based on how like morally reprehensible they are, you still have Coates the rapist is still one of the more he's one of the better guys. He's one of the, they they say he's one of the good ones. And that's really depressing when you think about that as well.
1: Agreed, and there are characters, and we will get into this, that I think prove themselves to be so terrible in these last couple episodes that uh, they really nail the fact that like there are uh, there are no good people. You know, there are only bad people that do good things sometimes.
2: Speaking of terrible characters, can we talk about Healy because mm-hmm. he has such a weird arc in these last three episodes? And I mean, we, we get to see a little bit more of his story all the way back in episode four with that always memorable soul patch and welcome to the dollhouse uh, movie visitation. But, I mean, he tries to pull like a Virginia wolf, and he has like almost like his little last walkabout before killing himself, and I did not see this coming whatsoever. I mean, I I think his flashbacks have really not allowed us to see what makes this man tick, so I was really confused about his choice to do so. That being said, I wasn't mad at it if he ended up doing so. (laughs)
0: Oh.
3: I thought this was weird too. The the one part of this that I liked, um, was when he leaves the message for his ex-wife and then the phone rings uh while he's waist deep in the water and he runs out to get it and it's work. I feel like that is a very um symbolic moment but overall i don't know about this being totally out of nowhere (laughs) like obviously there are reasons for him to be very upset the whole thing with lolly watching her go into psych after he tried to help her and was so wrong about everything in that situation um but this just seemed completely unset up yeah and just like a way to have healy not be there anymore because he didn't really fit in with the co story
0: well once again we I have been saying all season that I don't think the writers know what to do with Healy. And every time they visit him any deeper, it just becomes more and more apparent that he doesn't fit with the rest of the group. And I think they it was like they were almost afraid to kill him off. But then so they just kind of backed away from that at the last minute and threw him into psych as well.
2: No, he kind of drags Lolly down with him, right? Because He gets the call from work, and that's I guess the the, the time he decides to turn Lolly in. Which is another reason why it confuses me, because you would think he would do this after he turns Lolly in, that like the guilt has put been such a, a weight on him that he almost feels breathless and he feels like he needs to end his life. But no, it seems like he does it before, and maybe he's just in such a mental state of I don't know desperation that when he gets the call from Piscatella, he says, "All right." he tries to put two and two together and says, okay, a guard's dead. It's probably Lolly. I have to turn her in.
0: It was almost like his indecision was moving him to suicide more than any kind of guilt. He might've felt.
1: Right. I, I see that for sure, because there was, what was built up for us with Healy. The season was like a sense of failure and a sense of obligation that he couldn't fulfill, but really no sense of someone like wanting to kill themselves. And I think if you want to contrast that a little bit with how, uh, so so tried to kill herself last season. Mm-hmm. It's very different, right? Like they built up her hopelessness and how she felt and how hurt she was and how like she truly felt like she couldn't go on. Healy, it was just kind of like eh, things are kind of messy. Like, should I walk into the ocean? Eh, nah. Like it was, it didn't necessarily feel earned for me. But I can guess, I can understand the instinct that they, the writers might have built up a character. Here, that isn't really grounded in real life, um, and that kind of next action is unclear.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's fair. I I, I do think. Do you think the series is going to be better off without it, or do you think yes. we're even losing him?
1: <laughs> I don't know if he's gone forever, but um,
3: he's been a real thorn in my side this
1: season, and I would
0: be totally fine without
1: him.
3: He's at least, at the very least is going to be like how. Laverne Cox was this season or Natasha Leone was last season were very occasional check-ins.
2: No, I, I I'm gonna be bold and say, I don't think we're gonna see him again. I think if we didn't we we haven't seen Bennett again, I don't think we're gonna be seeing Sam Healy again. I think the show now is being bolder with okay, we have a, an extremely large ensemble of characters, almost Game of Thrones-esque. We don't need to kill people off, but let's just start casually writing people out of the show. We're allowed to do that. And I feel like they've done I think they've, they put Healy to rest as much as they can. I, unless, you know, Caputo visits to get his side of the story of everything that's going on. I don't think we have any reason to see Healy again for the rest of the show.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I also, I have to wonder, can, can, I know they're pretty lax with their background checks, as we've learned from the fact that nobody noticed this guard was missing and nobody noticed he had four social security numbers. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like once you've had a mental be- breakdown, you're probably not necessarily allowed to work in a prison with working on the mental health issues of the inmates. I would guess that might kind of jeopardize your chances at a job like that.
2: Yeah, it's the blind leading the blind. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course, it's MCC. So who even knows? Sure. I guess we should talk about the prison being on lockdown for most of this episode. Um, And my maybe my favorite moment with my favorite who has rapidly become my favorite character, especially this season, Um, with Frida being righteously indignant that nobody calls her out as a suspect.
3: Yeah, And she can't remember which murders she's been caught for. In a moment of twisted levity.
0: Yeah, she she is the best. Uh, <laughs> and I think maybe one of the last few people that's actually bringing funny things into the show. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, except for the whole Judy King, Yoga Jones, loose check thing, which is disturbing, but at
2: least somewhat light.
0: I guess that's what passes for levity these days.
2: <laughs> is, uh
0: Molly'd
2: out (laughs) threesome. I mean, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it was levity as much as it, to me, it felt cathartic, specifically Yoga Jones' Molly epiphany of like, hey, Judy King, A, you're not a nice person, B, I'm not a good person. See, you're like controlling people. I thought it was very much like speaking from what the the viewers have been watching happen to Judy King throughout the course of this season. And we'll talk in a little bit about the next episode. But it's interesting to me tracking Judy King throughout the season that we until next episode, never, never see her alone. And I feel like Yoga Jones comment about how she's playing with people for her amusement. It's very fitting that we never we always see judy king in a scene with someone else and seeing her subtly manipulate people to get what she wants
0: couldn't you say that for a lot of characters though well yeah my question here is do you guys think that judy king has been well used this season
3: i i think that she has added a lot to the season i think she's i think i would say that she's been well used i don't know if she's been used to the maximum of her potential
2: That being said, the way we leave things off in episode 13, we don't know what happens to Judy King. I mean, Blair Brown, I think, has been very adamant of saying like, hey, I want Judy King to do more crimes so she can go back into that prison. And I mean, I think my issue with the character is that maybe it wasn't so much that we never see her alone as much as we don't see her stripped down. Yes, other characters have had not a lot of time alone because they're obviously in a prison they're in close proximity to each other but we i feel like we didn't know who we didn't get to know judy king we got to know the facade of who judy king was and who she was in the 70s with her jigaboo puppets but we never really got to know like who she was as a human being we got inklings of it i feel like as sort of like a sociopath in these last couple of episodes but i don't know i want to see the prison system kind of break her down and reveal who she truly is as a person.
0: Yeah, it's true. I don't think prison changed her at all.
2: Right. I
1: agree with that a lot. And I think that's almost, uh, it, it reminds me of kind of like what you would think of Martha Stewart in prison, right? Like it from someone who's like reading about it in magazines, like this is a two dimensional character in and Martha Stewart is a two-dimensional character in our lives, and Judy King was a two-dimensional character on this show. I kind of think, I'm like, is there more to her? Is she just kind of saying how she is, and like, she's just a rich, famous lady, and she's in and out. Uh, there, Yeah, there was never a situation where she broke down, where she couldn't handle something, where we saw her under fire. It was just kind of, she was... Uh, comedic relief in a lot of the season even uh even her racism storyline ended up being the comedic racism storyline so uh yeah i would say if not underutilized then maybe a couple missed opportunities
0: it's yeah i think that's a very very good point that you would expect to have a character from television come into the series and be different like be not who you expected and Reveal something behind the facade that everybody was watching on television. And we really didn't get that except like occasionally, Ooh, she's got a wild sexual streak. I don't think that passes for character development.
1: Sure. I agree. Especially when it's under, you know, psychedelic drugs.
0: Right. Although, you know, she's got a husband and a boyfriend. Are we supposed to be scandalized by this? And she, she
3: had a relationship
0: with Nigella Lawson. It's hinted. (laughs) right. Ooh, that's edgy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, um, I got a quote, one of my favorite films here. Shock me, shock me, shock me with your deviant behavior. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like we could have gone further and you know, who knows? Maybe the first, the first scene of season five is Judy King, like wrenching the gun out of Daya's hands, committing a crime and getting stuck there forever. (laughs) Anything could happen. It's, it's a wild world.
1: I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Exactly. What you just said.
0: Did I just give them ideas? I hope I didn't give them ideas. (laughs)
2: We all know all of the Orange is the New Black writing staff is listening in. Though they probably tuned out once I called them out on their lack of diversity.
0: <laughs> and they are girl. ready to use this idea. Yeah, use Mike's ideas, not mine. His are better.
2: Don't kill any more children, Orange is the New Black. <laughs> You've reached your capacity. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Uh,
1: is there anything else for episode 11 that we haven't hit on?
0: Um, I don't think so. Like, we we didn't really... I think we've we've hit on all of the high points. Um, I think we we could talk a little bit about Red and about the keys getting found and about getting a little more backstory. And I think Red is the example of one of those characters that. You don't need to know what exactly she did to know who she is,
2: totally and speaking towards like Piscatella's side of this as well because it's a very like it's interesting to see the two of them face off, and red is so steely that I was almost a little thrown off by her trying to act so emotional about the you know playing coy of like oh, I don't know what happened this sounds like an extremely sad situation, but they don't really know each other, so I guess you can try to play that card Piscatella, I can at least sort of like understand where he's coming from as morally reprehensible as that is to say yes he is taking things to the extreme but that being said even though he didn't know this guard i think to him it's more of a representation of like they're killing us you know i need to defend my men in some way somehow and so he's willing to go through borderline torture techniques as he's going to show in a couple of episodes in order to make a show of solidarity of hey if you mess with my men we're going to get back at you
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Like he's evil, but at least he's consistently evil, right? Like he has his, he's very militaristic. His, all his philosophies come from that sort of like, this is my job and these are my people and I'm I'm not going to deviate from that. So unlike someone like Healy, whose motivations are totally clouded, Piscatella, at least we can boil him down to a singular motivation.
0: Right. And you can contrast that from a, Like, I don't want to go into alignment charts that much because then Mm. I risk sounding like someone who doesn't know what she's talking about because I haven't really played a whole lot of D&D. Oh, I have. Mm. (laughs) Okay, so... When I say that someone like Humphrey is chaotic evil in comparison to Piscatella, who is probably lawful neutral.
3: Or yeah, at least lawful evil, something
0: lawful. Something lawful, very much. So like Piscatella has a moral code and he's not like stuff he does is not just to mess with other people and to cause and to cause other people to suffer.
3: He thinks what he's doing is right, whereas someone like Humps just thinks what he's doing is fun.
0: Exactly. Exactly that. So I think that's that's an interesting contrast to make, but that would be my last point that I didn't need to make about this episode before we move on to episode 12.
2: And that uh, Kakutio gets beat almost to death. Oh, right. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the character specifically the way that she was kind of portrayed this season in her few episodes. So I was kind of, I was kind of fine with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, They did pick a pretty minor character to put in that scenario. Uh, but it, it, in a way that catalyzes everything. Right. So I guess that's how it kind of has to be. It would be, uh, for them to put, you know, and we've seen a lot of people get beat up on this show. And I think that's probably a way to set up what happens in the next episode in in the sense that like, okay, we're not, we're not going to, punch you in the heart twice <laughs> like we're gonna give you uh, a character that uh, has been a foil to a character you really care about and put her in pain and it's not going to kill you as much as when you see a character you love in pain <laughs> uh, even though in the you know it's just indicative of how terrible and messed up everything here is
2: the, right. the, la- the last thing I want to say about this episode is that I, I do love the Pentatucky Nikki pairing that ends up coming out of this episode. I'm trying to remember if we really saw the two of them interact at all in the previous three seasons, but you know. I think Pentatucky, with the death of Pousset, unfortunately, has kind of become my favorite character. I think Taryn Manning really turned this character from a one note into an entire symphony, just with her nuances and the way the character has been written. And I think her interaction with Nikki is so interesting in mean, both her previous, you know, experience with being a junkie, and I think Nikki gives the quote of like, You might be the only person I've ever met who's actually better for going to prison. And it's interesting that, you know, Nikki has this entire support system, but Pentatucky is really the first person to put her on the path towards real recovery.
3: Yeah, by using her puke basket that she spent so much loving time making. And I feel like that was such a good character moment that Doggett was so proud of this basket that she made, and now someone's puking it, which I think says a lot. Um, and the quote, you may be the only person who's better for going to prison, I think is really important because even though prison as an institution is terrible and does terrible things to people, that doesn't mean it's impossible um, to help people, especially. Or if for at least people to be better in there, especially um, with regards to getting sober,
0: right? And it actually seems to have rehabilitated her somewhat,
3: mm-hmm. and that's you know it's not common, but at least on this show, but it's it's possible. It doesn't necess- a prison sentence doesn't necessarily mean that everything is lost forever, and I think sometimes that gets uh, that gets lost in the show.
0: That's very true, and especially as we begin our descent into like the darkest place that this show has ever gone when we get to episode 12 here.
1: Right. And I think it's a little hard to even talk about episode 12 and 13 uh, separately. Uh, we can try. I think the points in 13 are important, but they kind of inform one another in a lot of ways that I, you know, if this was a weekly show, this might be a television event.
0: This would definitely, it would have been a shocking two hour finale. Yes. I want to kick things off here by telling you guys the first thing that i reacted to when this episode started up and my first thought was oh my god of all the people in the prison that we're gonna have a flashback for we're gonna go to the baby faced naive little prison guard when we could be having a look into the rich inner lives of anybody on the show we're going to this guy and i was really mad for about 10 minutes until we started to get into the meat of the episode and it took a turn that i didn't expect and it was incredibly satisfying and shocking to watch this all come to a head and why are we learning about him right now this is why because this thing that you can't even imagine might happen just
2: happened yeah the these flashbacks i'll admit that i thought this was like a stellar episode i might say this might be the best episode of the series we've experienced Mm -hmm. thus far that being said i liked what bailey's flashbacks symbolize more than i actually liked what they were on the screen you know i wasn't a big fan of like his gang of friends that came right out of a Judd Apatow movie. <laughs> uh, like, I, I think the thing, the only thing we really might have gleaned was that, like, he just seems like an innocent kid who does seem like he does have a heart, especially when the final scene we see him do. And his flashback is Peg. Was that Frida with yes. a, with an egg? It was Frida. OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And him sort of realize that, like, oh, there is a little bit of humanity behind those walls that people, you know, that his friends made fun of for kind of almost looking like a high school but that being said, like you said, Jess, I think once we saw the events coalesce in the final episode, in the final scene of the episode, I think it all made sense of like, yes, we didn't know learn too too much about him, but it had to be him to really send this message of like this system truly corrupts and that it was truly a series of unfortunate events that occurred in the final 5 minutes of this episode to produce this really unfortunate death.
1: Yeah, I agree. I thought like what a setup and payoff. I like it um I was right there with a lot of the, the like what you guys just said. That I thought this is confusing. Why are we doing this? This is stupid. And like at the end, I'm like, oh, this is beautiful storytelling. Like this couldn't have made more sense. Like it, they nail it. Um, and it made me. It's like I agree. This is the best episode of the series. Um, and they are able to just. Uh, I have a lot of forgiveness for other parts of the series that I felt like were weaker because this was so strong and I am uh, really impressed and Matthew uh, Weiner directed this episode for Mad Men and I'm just I read a bunch of interviews with him after and it was so just the care and thought that they put into it Um, everything leading up to this was worth it
2: yeah, I don't know about you guys, but after this episode faded out, uh, for some reason, like a vintage Coke commercial came up. I don't know if you guys saw the same thing with everyone was singing around about how they like to share a Coke. It felt really atonal to the rest of the to the rest of the episode, but <laughs> I, just, I guess I guess it was in there.
3: Yeah, the uh, mm-hmm. the I always pay attention to the songs um, that they play during the credits because they always mean something. Um, I'm thinking of, and I tweeted about this when I was watching it, but um, after. Uh, Piper was branded a few episodes ago. Um, They played Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which uh, is a Nazi song. Um, If you are familiar with that or have even seen the musical Cabaret, um, you would know that, but To people who don't know what it symbolizes, it's just kind of like a jaunty little tune. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think they always make interesting choices with that, where like, if you know what's going on, the music represents something. And if you don't, like, you don't have to pay attention to it.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. It's something that we've remarked on, but I felt like this music, and especially I watch it with the closed captioning on, which is frequently... Hilarious, I and mean, people scoff a lot on this show they do, <laughs> but we get to the end of this episode, and the credits music comes up, and all we get in brackets upbeat music playing <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember
0: what the last song was for this episode. It was very tonally jarring, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and like uh, all the Bailey stuff again, I think honestly at first i didn't even realize it was a flashback um yeah (laughs) yeah,
2: because he looks exactly the same
1: right which i think like now makes a lot of sense right that it was like okay his flashback is like six months ago Mm -hmm. like it's not you know years and years ago like everyone else is um and i think uh, like we were saying with coats this bailey thing is really interesting so um because there's not a lot of evil in this person, but he does the worst thing like that anyone has done on this show. And, um, but like, and I mean, there's so much to unpack with the murder of Poussey and it is so, you know, it's directly pulled from like, uh, black lives matter movements, Eric Garner and uh, Trayvon Martin. And like, they are literally using, you know, some of the same, uh, language that was used in those killings and you know it's really it is painted very clearly for us what is going on here and i think uh this is probably what you were alluding to a little before mike was that yeah they we are getting a somewhat sympathetic edit here for bailey um and you really see that like okay this is a kid he doesn't know what he's doing we get a lot of him in these two episodes being like is she gonna be okay? like it was an accident I didn't realize what I was doing like not a whole lot of I'm an evil person and uh i though I do appreciate the gray area and nuance I can also especially with the uh current landscape of uh what's going on in the world now, which wasn't going on in the world you know a year ago when they were filming uh that they may have wanted to be a little less, uh, a little more heavy handed in what is acceptable and unacceptable in this kind of situation.
2: And it had to be him. I felt like if it was any of the other guards, I feel like that would be the, the, the biggest like victimized thing. Like everyone, including listeners, what our viewers would point their fingers at these guards and say like, what is wrong with you? You guys are the huge enemies here. With Bailey being the one to do it and to him kind of do it almost accidentally, you know, he's so overwhelmed by the situation with Suzanne coming after him, which is interesting that like the events of last episode kind of flow into this episode. Had Suzanne not been so emotionally, I I don't want to say vacant, but so emotionally charged about what she did in the previous episode, this whole scuffle wouldn't have happened. And to have Bailey be the one to have carried out the action makes things, for lack of a better term, not so black and white. You know it's it was a matter of there was so much chaotic stuff going on. There have been so many dominoes that have been set up with you know Caputo's idea to hire the vets to the lack of training to them being allowed to be so violent to everyone throughout this episode kind of coming together to try to defend themselves with the peaceful protests and everything. Everything was being set up for this one moment to happen and Bailey had to be the one to do it otherwise it would kind of come across as too over the top evil that these guards are so bad that they're flat out killing prisoners to have the most innocent one be able to do it really casts a new light on this type of situation which I don't think you know it's the the whole the, the whole depiction of the events that have been going on in in recent times, I feel like is a topic for another entire discussion, but I feel like this presents things in much more of a moral gray area than maybe the media depicts those other types of situations.
3: Well, I, I'm going to disagree a little bit um, with that just because you say like, um, you know, it would just be too over the top evil if it was someone like Humps or whatever. Um, but I think that a lot of the the time, like, it's it's not that unbelievable to me that a cop would just or that a CO would just murder a prisoner, you know, for some reason, because we're seeing that with cops and civilians in real life. And um, I read a really good piece by um, Ashley Ray Harris on the A.V. Club, uh, who's a black woman talking about how they spend a little too much time sympathizing with Bailey to the point where the lack of diversity, the lack of black women on the writing staff kind of comes through a little bit because it's like, why, why are they forcing us to, to see this as okay, or at least try to see it as okay? There's, I agree with gray area and nuance, but this seemed really over the top, giving us so much reason um, to be, to be painted into the corner to think, well, he's still a good guy, um, just because he did this horrible Unfor- thing that should be unforgivable.
0: Well, and we reach this point in the in the following episode where we've gotten this hammered into our heads so much that when Caputo finally gets up and like takes a stand against MCC and gives his press conference, you walk away from that thinking, okay, he navigated the waters pretty deftly he got that under control and then you switch back to tasty and you realize no he didn't he Mm -hmm. completely mishandled that he didn't say her name you didn't yeah.
2: say her name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, One of the one of the questions I have, and maybe we can sort of take this time to just sort of talk about Caputo in these three episodes. I have a, a question lingering from this season of did Caputo kind of break bad in a way? Because I completely yes. agree, Jess, while he was told by, you know, a, this junior McNulty, Dominic West looking guy of like, hey, let's, you know, just vic- let's villainize uh Bailey completely and he chooses not to do that at the same time while he does you know call Pusey's father right before the press conference he is still you know kind of supporting his staff at the end of the day and he's still kind of under the thumb of MCC even though it seems like him and Linda from purchasing are kind of done at the moment so it seems like yes I know you guys have talked in the podcast before about how he might be one of the more sympathetic people we still have on the show still I still think that he's he's still kind of a corporate stooge in a way that like, yes, he kind of feels bad. But at the same time, he's not exactly siding with the prisoners either.
1: Right. Yeah. I thought this was one of the most uh, like the I agree with you, Lita, that like they they probably hit us over the head with the fact that Bailey is just an innocent kid because it it, it was always we always knew that. And it was clear. Um, and I'm glad they did it but like they like it was heavy-handed and then this part with caputo i think is the actual interesting moral dilemma here and um you and this is the part where like you always like and if that i think uh the uh these you know murders of civilians that are happening is like Why aren't like? Why is it so hard for people to stand against this? And they kind of draw that out. And at the end of the day, like it, like it's you know probably the wrong thing to do. But these guys are protecting themselves and their people. And it's it's so, uh, in my opinion, morally repugnant. But when you're so deep into these corporations, and this is even double the fact that this is a private prison now. And they have these, you know, you have these PR kids trying to spin it. It's the same as like if like, you know, at my company, like a rogue tweet went out or something, you know, it's like a PR issue. It's so far from being a human issue and that that's you know problematic and sad and horrible but i agree like caputo is this guy who we saw time and time again like make exceptions for prisoners go out of his way to show how much he cared about them and then when push came to shove he was like no like i'm a i'm a company man and that is sad for a character that i like have been cheerleading for for a long time
3: yeah just because he didn't listen to the PR Winklevoss brothers doesn't mean that he actually like stood up for anyone or did anything important right
2: yeah and the fact is even in like these previous two episodes I mean one of the reasons why this the incident in episode 12 happens as well is because Caputo's not there why is he not there? Because he chooses instead of going back to work, he goes to see Fig to kind of like both assuage his guilt and also get nibbled on the ear a bit. And so, you know, he's not entirely the good guy either because in kind of shirking his own responsibilities, he was culpable for this incident as well.
0: So Basically, both he and, and Healy went on like walkabout vision quests while they should have been handling their business back at the prison.
1: Yep. Uh, and yeah, there are two guys who... At the top of the series, I was like, "These guys are the same like and then they really deviated from one another, and Caputo became more of this uh you know good person, Healy became more of this bad person, but at the end of the day, like maybe they are exactly the same
0: yeah it's it's interesting the way that they kind of deviate and come back together, yes, and I think. One thing that we've kind of throughout the throughout the course of our recapping this season, we've mentioned a few times that Linda seems very detached from the world of the prison to the point where she seems like she doesn't really ever go to the prison. And it turns out that literally she had never set foot in a prison. Yep, because it didn't seem necessary.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And I'll I'll give compliments here to the actress, uh, Beth Dover. I've been watching the Comedy Central series, Another Period. And mm-hmm. in both of those series, she plays someone that's a little unhinged. And I think Beth Dover is one of those actresses that does a, a great job of playing someone that's another version of Crazy Eyes in a way. That she's very like, she seems very nice on the surface, but is uh, a little crazy slash a little sadistic underneath. And I mean, we leave the season with her in the bathroom, possibly on Tinder. I'm not entirely sure. She's doing but, a lot of swiping. Yeah,
3: uh, I, I read it
2: as that also so it'll be interesting to see a it seems like her and caputo are done and considering that she was kind of i don't know it seemed like she was kind of using him to kind of get mcc to really instill their values into him and B, you know considering that she might get caught up in the ride if she walks out of the bathroom who knows the mcc dynamic is still something that's very much hanging over the head especially with more prisoners apparently coming in so if they do indeed bring back Linda from purchasing if she doesn't get danny out of the show and just mm. c- kind of leaves at the end of the season it'll be interesting to see how she kind of gets back into the picture
1: yeah something interesting about what you just mentioned too is a lot of these actors come from comedy I know that uh, the actor that plays Bailey same thing uh, and uh, what a stretch <laughs> for a lot of these kids that thought they were signing on to do a comedy show <laughs> um, and are ending up uh, taking on some real uh, first as far as dramatic storylines go.
0: Well, it's interesting. It's like they may have even watched the first season and figured they were coming into something like sort of a black comedy. And then, oh, right, we're not a black comedy anymore. The Emmys said we had to be a gritty drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, I think it's worth pointing out Orange is the New Black got pretty snubbed at the Emmys this year.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Emmy dynamics are, again, something that we could probably talk about at a, another point on an entirely different podcast. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see I feel like with the Emmys, it's hard to get momentum back. And I, like you, was very surprised that even Uzo Aduba won awards for Orange is the New Black the past two years. The fact that even she was snubbed, she's sort of like, I thought she was going to be like in the Dinklage category of like, even if she had an off year, she's still going to be nominated. I'll admit that season three wasn't the best. And let's also remember that because of Emmy guidelines... Season three of Orange is the New Black was nominated this year, not season four. Season four will be nominated next year. That being said, it'll be interesting to track what they get nominated for next year, considering that they kind of fell off the wagon. Our Emmy voters are now going to be drawn to the next big shiny thing instead of looking back at this drama. It's
3: going to get girls. Yeah. Yeah. Girls had an amazing season. But since it was off the wagon, it's just it's done now. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of bad timing.
0: Well, on the other hand, we don't have a lot of bright new shiny coming down the pike this season, so maybe they'll get lucky.
1: Maybe. That'd be great. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that season three was glossed over, but I hope season four isn't because I think there's a lot of good stuff here. And I think uh, we could probably use this to transition to talking about Samira Wiley and Poussey, who I want to talk about a whole lot, um, because I think this was not only an interesting choice, uh, but great. Uh, performance and virtuosity of Samira Wiley in the last episode um, and uh, some really interesting storytelling stuff and I would be uh, very excited if uh, her uh, performance and contribution to this show was honored next year.
2: Did you feel like there was kind of a black cloud hanging over her head this episode? It oh, yeah. did seem like, especially going back and rewatching, for her being like, I'm going to talk about my future. So-so, I love you, like that type of stuff felt especially the second time being like wow they are like really telling us something bad's going to happen to her specifically because it's very rare on Orange is the New Black that something good happens to someone and it stays good you know so to see her this entire episode talk about how optimistic she is and how her life's going to turn out great when she gets out you knew something was going to happen yeah
1: a real Chekhov sous chef (laughs) (laughs) like
3: (laughs) Uh, yeah, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh.
1: and especially this might have been uh, the most spoiled thing that's ever happened. And like, I, oh, yeah. yeah, I was able to avoid details for a while. But, you know, you couldn't open Twitter without people being like crazy, uh, crazy thing happens to a Poussey or like interview with Samir Wiley on that big event. And I was
3: like, oh, all right, well, screw you
1: guys.
0: Yeah. The good news is for me, I was able to avoid all all of that because I had to recap several episodes for previously.tv. So I had to watch a little bit ahead. Mm -hmm. And so I had seen the first half of the, of the series before it hit Netflix and then was able to jump into like episode seven, as soon as everything went live on Netflix. And so I walked into that event completely unspoiled. And of course, so absorbed in the show at that point that I wasn't thinking, Oh, what are they setting me up for? So I almost, I almost had to watch it twice when I, when it hit me because I had gone in so totally unaffected by anybody's reaction to anything. I didn't know when the crazy thing was going to happen. If a crazy thing was going to happen, I was still kind of complaining about Bailey being the flashback. And then all of a sudden this happens and it was shattering. Like this is, let this be a lesson to everybody. You should watch everything without looking at spoilers.
3: I I was a little relieved that I was spoiled. Um, I was spoiled because Vulture had a headline. That was Kimiko Glenn, who plays SoSo, an interview with Kimiko Glenn on her devastating loss. And I was like, (laughs) oh, well, Um, but I was actually glad because I am really sensitive to violence and um, stuff like that. So if I had gone into it without knowing, it would have probably really upset me Mm -hmm. a lot more than it did. Obviously, it still upset me. Yeah.
2: I mean, that last scene, I don't want to use the term beautiful, but like the cinematography behind it is pretty incredible and the cinematography across these three episodes is really interesting as well i don't don't think we talked about in episode 11 uh the final tracking shot over healy's voicemail to katia that just pans across several characters whether they're in bed or whether they're just sort of like silently sitting there mulling over their guilt or whatever they're going through but that final scene i feel like is very chaotic it's meant to be but i think matthew weiner does a great job of like showing exactly what happened that led to this happening and i am so glad i love kimiko glenn i love the so-so puse relationship but i'm so glad it was tasty there i, I think yes the very do, yeah. first time we saw puse was with tasty they have the biggest relationship samira wiley and daniel brooks their history goes back to when they were like 17 years old so to have tasty be the one to break through. And sit next to her after she's died. I, I, that was fantastic to me. I, it felt very right.
3: Yes, completely agree. I noted that
2: as well.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that um, as for spoilers and me coming into this episode with the heavy foreshadowing stuff and knowing this was going to happen, I started out pissed. <laughs> and I mean, I'm still <laughs> mad, but for different reasons. Like, I was like this show is going to take everyone's favorite character and kill her off for no reason, just to get people agitated and to like stir something up. And what a cheap storytelling move to take someone that literally the only character that everybody likes both in the show and in the audience. When we have a million characters that we don't care about or don't like, um, and uh, like it felt really cheap. Uh, and, uh, I have come around on it. There are still reasons I think that like was this the death that needed to happen? like you can make arguments either way, but I get it now, and I think that uh there's a lot of like like I still do kind of feel that they picked a sympathetic character so that people would sympathize with this kind of violence that's happening in the world. um, but I don't think that's necessarily a poor move i think you know if they had killed off like when they killed off v everyone's like yeah good ridden you know (laughs) like to kill and i think that is um and i spoke at the beginning of our recaps about um death in television there um there was a really good article on vox i think about it um and this is the kind of death in television that like breaks your heart and that's what you should see when a character dies
3: yeah i I still am not <laughs> am not happy with this however I, I think the only way that this pays off in a way that will satisfy me is if we get uh we saw in episode twelve this u n council on murdering Piscatella where it was tasty and maria and um and one of the Nazis and they all come together for a moment <laughs> uh, with Red about like okay let's do something about humps or Piscatella or whatever um i think the only way that I will be satisfied with uh, with Puse's death is if she acts as a rallying point for all of these people to actually come together next season, um, because I, I loved that scene where it was uh, all the representatives of their different contingents just debating something. Uh, I, I thought it was great.
2: Well, you bring up an interesting point because we can kind of, again, tie this into episode 13, which is really just the fallout of this action in a very reminiscent way of some of these other prestige dramas, which really put the big action of the season in their second to last episode and kind of track the fallout in the final episode. But Mm -hmm. there's that scene with Gloria and Sophia sitting outside where Gloria says like, oh, well, it sucks that it comes down to death to have to make change. And Sophia says change isn't coming. Nothing's going to happen. And I'm kind of inclined to go with Sophia here. So I don't know if that's going to, I don't know, I will not say pay off in a way, but like looking at episode 13, it's interesting that nobody really comes together. You know, I think that Pousse's group, specifically Cindy and Watson, really like try to make an effort to separate themselves from everyone else in spite of people coming to them to try to say like, I'm sorry for your loss. In a way, they're very whether they're just agitated or just saying you don't understand. They're very much separated from everyone else, and you, you you have Sankey and the other white supremacists back to what they were doing in episodes prior. And it's only in those last few seconds when we get our big prison riot and you see everyone filling out four hallways that we really see the actions of episode 12 really happen that being said it does still feel very tenuous i mean episode 12 they say okay we're going to do a peaceful protest and then it cuts to all the various clicks around the cafeteria saying well nobody else is going to do it so we're not going to do it either it's like the bystander effect almost and i'm glad that it does end up happening that piscatella ends up kind of unintentionally causing it by mistreating red but that being said i do not think it's going to become one big happy family rallying around this death
0: no i think we Have probably not even begun to imagine the depths of darkness we're going to go to in the next season because that seems to be the way of the show like I think it's going to get a whole lot worse before it ever gets better and I kind of kind of mad at myself right now for like watching the first half of episode 12 and thinking oh that's really nice that Poussey is getting her life together and not realizing that Mm -hmm. it was going to it was all a giant setup so that I could be, I could have all of my optimism smacked down again. And so I, yeah, I, am definitely with Sophia on this one. They're not doing anything. If anything, that's going to end up getting a whole lot worse before anybody gets better at all.
1: Right. Are you guys worried that because of that, they're like going to end up sanitizing this terrible thing that happens? Like I'm in, that's kind of my worry here is I agree. And I think episode 13 does lay into that, especially with tasty that she's like, nothing is going to change here. Like black lives don't matter in this prison. Nothing is going to change. And we're just going to get angrier and angrier and angrier and nothing's going to change. And that seems right from a, like a realistic perspective. And, uh, but in the storytelling perspective, is that like the right thing to do? And like, and there's a lot of contention in TV that like, um, you know, peop- uh, characters of color are killed off more often, uh, gay and lesbian characters are killed off more often to like a ridiculous extent. And this, you know, in by all technicalities, like falls into those tropes, even if it was told in a more like nuanced or grounded in reality sort of way. And I guess that's my kind of worry here, is, you know, Poussey was great. (laughs) like Poussey was awesome. She was the best character. Everyone liked her. We killed her off in a way that was, like, uh, you know, in some level, maybe emotional manipulation of the fans. Um, But it made sense from a storytelling perspective. But, like, it really will bum me out if season five is just kind of like... Three episodes of like morning, and then back to like the prison antics. I just want to do it justice.
2: I, right. don't, I don't know. I personally feel like they're going to say, hey, you know what? We sort of broke the seal here. And this is arguably the season that's made the biggest splash since the first Let's mm-hmm. go whole haul. I wouldn't be surprised if they go in almost the opposite direction and they start like really making big changes, whether it means killing off characters or shipping off characters or making really graphically violent. Sorry, Lita, uh, or really disturbing <laughs> things happen. Like I feel like they said, okay, this arguably gave us the most response we've had since the first season. How can we make more of these moments happen to produce more drama out of this show?
1: That's fair. And that might also turn me off. <laughs> I don't know what would make me happy. And so to be fair, I have that going for me. Um, but yeah, and like, and I've seen a lot of scripted shows do that, too. You know, something goes well and they just double down on it. And it's uh, hopefully to just not to a gratuitous extent is my hope.
0: I don't know, Taylor. I think your theory seems more... I, that seems more realistic to me. Like, I feel like we're going to get three episodes of fallout from whatever just happened here. And then we're going to get a Cucutio flashback.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, nothing will make me happy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to make for some good podcasting next year. <laughs> I want a whole season
3: that's just red. I think that's, that, yeah, that, that would be happy. good. Red and tasty. They yeah. I go on a buddy cop a <laughs> or something maybe not cop yeah, they, they, they drive they
2: pour they pull a rosa they drive a van out of the prison and they just go on the run together
0: yeah they film on louisa that would be a great season <laughs> i would watch that but <laughs> absolutely watch that and i i was very happy with the amount of red towards the end of the season here because i felt like we were never getting enough
3: yes yeah, yeah she never get enough of kate Mulgrew. she's the real moral compass of everything
0: She's like, it's almost like she's the captain of the
2: series. (laughs) Speaking of that, I do. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but there are two characters named Piper and Alex on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I have not mentioned for a good hour and a half. I mean, they they play like very small parts. I think the show has done a very smart thing in saying like, hey, we kind of run out of material for Taylor Schilling let's just like kind of relegate her to the background. I'm very happy with, I wouldn't say it's very cathartic what kind of happened to her in those first, in this first batch of episodes in this season, because she does undergo something that's very mortifying. But that being said, I wasn't a big fan of the panty smuggling, but I mean, these last few episodes really deal with more so with Alex kind of dealing with the guilt, especially now that the, her secrets have literally been unearthed and her kind of dealing with the guilt. And this last episode actually finds the two of them kind of separated from the rest of them. And Alex kind of, Trying to handle her own guilt by, you know, planting the name of the guard around the prison and her trying to her feeling horrible about turning not turning herself in the previous episode. So I thought the show did a, actually a pretty good job of, like, keeping these characters almost at an arm's length away from what's going on, just because I, I don't think it would be appropriate to be like, I want to hear what Piper and Alex think about this stuff. <laughs> if they have their own stuff to deal with, like, let's just watch like little inklings of it. But then let's get back to the really meaty stuff.
0: I do think there was one point where Piper was very well used, and that was her speaking to Bailey on his way out of the prison. Yes. I thought, wow, I actually like Piper here. She's 100% right, and she might be the only person that said anything to him the entire episode that made him feel it all better.
1: Right. I think we get Piper here at her best in how she should be used in the series, I think, which is like almost a uh, narrator isn't the right word but basically kind of saying like listen (laughs) like this is how like this is the right way for things to be and it's hard because Piper has always been like anti-hero is probably an overstatement but a lot of qualities that you see in anti-heroes were in Piper Um, and uh, to see her as a the, the propagator of what is correct I like her in that way and uh you know her goal was never to be likable or to be appealing, but I think that's Taylor Schilling at her best and I think that's uh the uh the character at her best when it's just kind of like let Piper just sort of comment on what's going on, be the voice of the audience even though like I just I think that makes a lot more
0: sense for her character at this point she's almost like she's almost like she knocks down the fourth wall
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's I think she works best when she's the straight man in the straight man, crazy man relationship that again, which is why I wasn't a big fan of the panty smuggling storyline, just because I didn't necessarily want to see her break bad in a way i like her much better when like you said taylor she's sort of just like bringing her own sensibility and her own common sense into these types of things so that's that in my opinion is when they utilize her best and when she's not exactly front and center but you're sort of commentating about how absurd some of these situations are as just a regular person exactly
0: And it's really uncomfortable when we spend so much time on her and her alarming lack of self-awareness. So when she's out of her own head and she's commenting on the world around her, I think she's much better used.
1: I agree. What did you guys think of the Poussey flashback in episode 13?
2: I thought, I mean, I, I loved it. It's so atypical because I'm trying to think, uh, you know, we've had flashbacks before that have incorporated multiple characters and sort of like the lost season one finale. I thought that that was we were going to go back to that. But I think focusing so much on Poussey specifically because I know it was a big comment from the audience in general. We only got one Poussey flashback. We find out we want to find out more about what's going on. We didn't see her get arrested, but we see her kind of spend One last night in New York. I mean, you start off the episode with her saying, is this the bus to the underworld? Which is so Mm -hmm. fitting. And to have her just spend a night exploring New York and kind of just exploring the way we view the world. And I forget, you know, her ending up riding with a monk who says at the very end something like, the world's a damaged place. And if you find a sliver of happiness, stay in it as long as you can. Mm -hmm. I think it just speaks towards You know, how we view the outside world and sort of in a microcosm, how the prison is viewed and sort of comparing and contrasting the two. You know, Poussey goes on this wild adventure where she's taken so many places and she experiences such a wide array of life. And to have that life taken away from her at the end of the last episode, you really feel the crushing blow that happened in the final five minutes of episode 12. And I feel like spending that much time on her was so fitting just because I can't think of many instances where you focus on a character who was deceased after they're kind of, in a way, written off the show. I thought it was very unexpected and I really liked that device.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an appropriate send-off for Smira Wiley, too. Like She was clearly having a lot of fun in the role and kind of, it felt like sort of her last, um, like she and Poussey getting to have their last connection together before the character goes away forever. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it... It was nice. It was so positive. And it was, it's awesome to see. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot um, that you, no one, because of the vast uh, character profiles on the show, no one character gets all that much screen time. Um, and if you've learned to love a character, it could be from a collective, you know, in the past four years, like 20 minutes of screen time, like Pousse was great, and she did have storylines and she had a lot going on in every season. But in general was, you know, if you asked me to name like the top 10 most prominent characters on the season, like she's probably eight or nine. And to have her uh, have a a an episode that was all about her, which, you know, the other um, who was the character in season one that was killed off? Uh, Trisha. 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 Like, you know, there was no fo- follow up on that. Uh, and they um really, I think give they honor the character very, very well here, and it's great to see someone at their best, like I thought that was really sweet,
3: yeah, yeah. this was the first time we've seen a character death that we both knew a lot about and cared a lot about, I feel like mm-hmm. because um Rosa, obviously people I personally loved Rosa, but we always knew she was going to die. She had cancer um, and was in prison. So, um, you know, we knew and cared about her, but we also knew it was coming. Um, the everyone was relieved, I think, and Trisha was, you know, kind of a non-entity. At least I barely remember her. Um, so this was the first time we've seen Orange is New Black deal with killing off
2: what could be considered a main character and someone that people love and were not expecting to die. I was gonna say, what did you guys think about the very? We'll talk about like the final gun showdown. I'm sure later on. What did you think about the final shot of the season being Pussi looking straight into the camera? Uh, because we've never had a character do that before. And apparently, like Samara Wiley tells, I, I think it was maybe the Hollywood Reporter mm-hmm. that she was Genji Cohen like told her finish the scene by looking straight into the camera. Is there any sort of like symbology behind that, or do you think it's just a nice little like? artistic nod to this character of of her kind of saying farewell to the audience. I think it was the second thing you said.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I think it was just like, I think they were trying to milk those last like 10 tears out of us because like the first time I watched this episode, I spent the whole time sobbing and then they cut to her. I'm like, Uh, It it was it was like I didn't think I had any crying left in me. And so, yeah, I've had to watch this episode a couple of times to be able to respond to it critically.
1: Right. I think um, if it had any sort of meaning at all, I think it was really in this episode overall culminating in that it was like saying it's it's kind of that like say her name attitude towards this situation like we're not just we're not just killing off a black lesbian character and throwing it in the garbage you know we are trying to do our best here to pay homage to this character and, and this actress and give her uh, you know and connect her with the audience so um, it was cool and artistic and I also think it was uh, it, you know by definition fourth wall breaking to give some sort of connection between the creators of the show and the in the people at home.
0: Yeah, it was incredibly emotionally manipulative, but <laughs> but effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So a story of orange is a new
1: black. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Um. So the fallout in the prison from Soso of you know in the um on the ground is predictable.
2: Um.
3: I forgot. I had forgotten that Puse uh, made hooch. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Found- I mean, that was the moment that kind of broke me, and the finale was. The as much as I enjoyed that Tasty was the one to be with Poussey when she died to just hear Norma singing in the background and oh, then yeah. cut to her cradling mm-hmm. so so like that just that broke me. I know that the the so so relationship was very new and that they like went back to it only a few times this season, but it was just uh, it was it was heartbreaking and to have it again come from Norma, a person who we hadn't hear saying since like the end of the season one finale was very pertinent and I thought very, very important.
3: Yeah, Um, I think that moment was one that really stuck with me. Um, Another was uh, the it's not totally related to Poussey, but it's sort of on the theme of um, people coming. We we said a lot of groups didn't come together in the wake of this, but a lot of individuals did. Um, We've seen uh, Doggett and Boom and their relationship in these last couple episodes. And um, something that stuck with me was Morello and Mm -hmm. uh, and Nikki. Kind of reconvening in an appropriately dramatic and explosive, but ultimately really nice way um, in the wake of this.
2: Yeah, Morello's interesting because, again, she's another one like Poussin, these characters that we don't have a flashback for. But we see her in these past few episodes really go back to her old vices of she her paranoia gets to her. She yells at Vinny. She thinks that he's sleeping with his her sister. And then she goes back to her crew and says, we're going to have a baby. And for her to finally admit to Nikki, like, "I, I see myself, I hear myself doing this and I can't help myself. is like a fun little insight into this character that for the most part, the past few seasons has been played to comic effect. And one of my things on the wish list for season five is that I hope we see her deal with that more. I feel like this season focused a lot more with mental illness with both Suzanne and, you know, and Lolly, especially, but you know, there's obviously a spectrum of these things. And I feel like Lorna, is certainly on that spectrum and I feel like they really have not dealt with that at all this series and I think they, they started to kind of dip their toes into the waters this episode
1: yeah I would not be surprised if Lorna is our character next season she's the one that we see the most of and follow her thoughts and process I've been yeah pretty vocal about being a big fan and I the more she does uh, the better for me
3: yeah she's amazing I don't think racism should be a group activity was one of my <laughs> yeah. favorite lines of the whole season
0: Right. And I thought it was an interesting meta commentary when they show her talking on the phone with Vinny and Vinny just kind of has this realization. Oh, my God, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's pretty much as nuanced as the Litchfield view of mental illness ever gets, too. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting parallel.
1: Yeah. I'm excited to see how that like it's inevitably going to fall apart in some way. And I think we were really set up for that. Um, Speaking of things we were set up for. I think um, this was really thrown together in the, or not thrown together is not the right phrase, but uh, thrown to us in the last several minutes of the episode where uh, these prisoners are, uh, everyone's coming together and they are, you know, ready to attack these COs. And uh, a series of mishaps ends up with Daya who we had mentioned many times and we've also very much glossed over the uh, or failed to mention all the Aleda getting out storyline um, but Daya who had next to nothing to do this entire season ends up pointing a gun at Hump's face
2: yeah well I mean first of all again we're talking about catharsis I was happy to see that I mean this guy is in addition to being such a sociopath, such a dumbass for being like, well, I got to protect myself. I'll bring a gun into the prison. There will be no repercussions if I (laughs) smuggle a gun into the prison and start shooting people. Of course, I'll get off scot-free. But the whole fallout is interesting just because, you know, these other guards kind of when the when the riot starts happening i thought that they would start just like breaking out the billy club and start beating them up but they start like cowering locking themselves up so to have all the guards leave humphrey behind and to just have it end with dia pointing the gun at him i mean that that one shot of them just circling around almost like you know they're looking in on these animals acting to their natural impulses in the cage is very interesting but That being said, like you said, Taylor, because we don't know really much about Daya this season, except that Aleda told Gloria, like, don't make her do bad stuff. Don't make her fall in with a bad crowd. Mm. I really have no idea what she's going to do. I'd feel bad in terms of the anticlimactic proportions if she didn't if she ended up not shooting him. But that being said, I feel like there'd be so many more repercussions if she did shoot him, realistically speaking.
1: Yeah, this is a cliffhanger I can get behind. Yeah. Um, And I'm not usually a fan of this kind of stuff, but I just think either way, what happens is going to be a trip. Um, I think it's, you know, the first thing I'm thinking of is like, oh, well, this girl, you know, was screwed over by a guard that looks a lot like this guard and uh, (laughs) that she has a lot of her own reasons to hate these guards. Um, And yeah, I, I don't have a prediction, but either way, the fallout is going to be huge.
3: Yeah. I also loved that Judy King was literally caught in the middle of all this because she's been this person who, you know, is kind of racist, but hangs out with the black girls and, you know, is surrounded by people for her protection, but is also at the same time isolated. And so finally, this all catches up to her as she's getting out and she's literally in the middle of all these groups.
0: Yeah, well, I'm saying one way this could all resolve is Judy King snatches the gun away and, like, takes over.
1: <laughs> I I would be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it keeps Blair Brown on the show, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, but there are many ways that this could end up defusing, and I'm very, very interested. Like, they better, they better get right back into it. They better pick up right where they left off. And as you know, that's not necessarily something that every series does we could drop this here and put a pin in it and come back to it and that would make me crazy
1: yeah i i think they will if they don't that is a uh i trust that they're making a good artistic choice but uh
0: (laughs) i (laughs) I don't have that much faith (laughs) i i think it's the same way that um if walking dead season seven comes back and the first thing they don't tell us is who died i'm gonna be as upset and, the, you know, it's been done before. They've gone to places. Many, many shows have ended on a cliffhanger, put a pin in it and come back to it later. And if they do that, that's not a good artistic choice. That's just making me mad.
1: My, my only thought there is, is if they do put a pin on this and do something else, we'll know because the, like the results will be clear. Like if where they go, just because, you know. We have everyone there. <laughs> so, like, maybe they could jump straight into a flashback or something like that. But I have a feeling that, like, this action is going to, whatever happens here is going to be what the next season is predicated on. And uh, whether we don't get uh, to see a bullet in his brain, uh, may, like, hopefully it's clear either way. I would happens. love
3: to see a dia maybe like start the season with a dia flashback and then go to the scene where we left off I mean. or
0: dia flash forward Ooh. Like, ooh. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> or die a flash sideways. Oh no!
2: <laughs> die in an alternate universe, <laughs> flash
0: sideways, please God. But I think I think one way they could end up dealing with it is we start off season five with a time jump where everybody's reacting to the fallout and they keep like talking around what happened, and that would also make me want to pick up the gun myself.
2: Yeah. So it's like it's like what's like Schrodinger's guard in a way that they like mention Humphrey, but they don't say if he's alive or dead for an entire episode. Right. and We're still upset about what happened to Humphrey. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Or what happened with Humphrey. Yes.
0: Yes, exactly. So I think this is a good segue into what is our season five wish list apart from we need to find out how this resolves.
3: Uh, I have one that is kind of random because we haven't <laughs> talked about it yet. But um, Piscatella's homosexuality becomes salient. Um, mm-hmm. In this episode, we see Caputo have some leverage over him because he says, um, you know, I know what you did over at the male prison. I know why you're here now. And I was relieved about that because when we found out that Piscatella was gay, it's like okay this is cool that there are more queer characters like i generally applaud that but also you can't just have someone who's like patently evil and be like oh also he's gay like his only two character traits are that he's evil and he's gay like great i that really bothered me so at least that has like some weight besides the writers being like let's have more gays people love that
2: yeah um, my i my, add on to that my personal wish list would be like I want to find out more about these guards. I can understand that, like, specifically Humphrey and even, like, Dixon in this last episode is talking about some really, really depraved shit that he did overseas. But that being said, I want to find out more about them. You know, as much as we sort of might have been WTF about the Bailey flashback, I feel like... Learning a little bit more about him, and especially like the Caputo flashback in season three, I really liked. And I mm-hmm. like this idea of like finding out more about not just the prisoners, but the people that work behind it. And sort of like Pensatucky in season one, I like finding out more about who this big bad is and seeing if there are sort of more colors to their character than just them being evil incarnate.
1: That makes sense. My wish list is, um, like I said, I want the death of Poussin to be. Uh, to have ripple effects in a way that makes it seem worth it and not, um, not gratuitous. And then I also, like I also said, I want, I would love for Piper to transition her character to be more of a, um, more of a moral compass for the show or the viewers and get back to kind of being a relatable person and not an entrepreneurial neo-Nazi. Um, but uh, you can only ask for so much, I guess. Uh, basically, I would like Piper to go back to being normal. And uh, for, uh, uh, yeah, I would say that, that's enough for me.
3: Sometimes a leopard can't change its swastika, <laughs> yeah. even if she makes it a window.
2: Or its swastika.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Piper could be stand to be a little more hurly from Lost. And a little less... Like, who did everybody hate on Lost? I can't even remember anymore.
2: What, Nikki and Paolo? <laughs>
0: well, who,
2: who completely... Was, I'd say I'd say a little more Hurley, a little less Kate.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Who's the character with no self-awareness whose backstory we don't care about? <laughs> so, yeah, I would co-sign all of that. Um, and I think... I would even say my wish list includes fewer flashbacks and more dealing with what's going on in the present. Because I think we've got... 13 hours worth of storytelling that could just be about the aftermath and Mm -hmm. it could go to some very interesting places. It already has gone to some very interesting places. So yeah, let's, let's stop necessarily. Like we can get three or four. That's fine. Like one guard, three inmates. That's pretty good. And the rest of the time, let's stay in the present. Let's focus on the now and how everybody is coping with everything that's happened.
2: Yes. I'll also, also put on top of that, if they are indeed adding even more prisoners, maybe handle them. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I hated the way that they portrayed the new gaggle of prisoners in this season. But that being said, we are already bursting at the seams with talent in this ensemble as it is. Adding five to six more speaking roles on top of that was a bit much for me. I mean, I feel like even in this podcast, we talked about or gleaned on characters that like... Uh, Made appearances and had a bunch of different seats. We didn't talk about Leanne and Angie at all. For example, Mm -hmm. we barely talked about Sophia. There are so many characters in this show. I don't feel like they need to add more, and the thought about adding more is a little—it's a little nerve-wracking for me. So if they do indeed bring in more prisoners, maybe make them more red shirts, and you know, have them kind of fill out the background and be representative more so than being like, let's give lines to these people. So now we have upwards of like fifty characters that are now on this show that you have to keep track of.
0: Well, here's how they do that. I think what they need to do, you know, they've been playing with time so much and Taylor and I have been complaining about that all season. But this season apparently, you know, spans several months because you do have Caputo saying, Figueroa, you know, those new prisoners came in months ago. So let's compress time for the next season. Like, let's have the season unfold over the course of like a week and let's spend that whole week In that place. And then you don't have to bring on anybody new and you don't have to feel pressured to write off a whole bunch of people to make room for new blood. Like, let's compress it because, you know, we're otherwise we're going to run out of time. We're going to start having to release people. We're going to start having to bring in more people. And that's how you get around that.
2: Yeah. And more Gloria and Sophia, please. Yeah, I know little, I know Laverne Cox is you know on a show this fall. And depending on how that does, she might be a little more strained for time. But if you could get Danielle Brooks to be in a Tony Award winning musical and still got her to do that much this season. And, I'm sure you, and I'm Kimiko
3: sure get- Glenn as well. Kimiko Glenn was also on Broadway this season.
2: Yeah, exactly. If you could do that much with those characters and still keep them involved in the main storyline. I'm sure you could do that. And let's bring Sister Ingalls out of the shoe as well. Let's not forget about her too. Yes, 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 yes.
1: yes. I also think that there are people from Hamilton that will be on this show next year. Mm. I don't have a specific thing. I just think that's like so <laughs> reasonable. <prediction. laughs> I think if I want to put money on something, give me, uh, give me Two or three Hamilton original <laughs> cast members that are recurring characters on this show. In
2: this
0: what if, what the if, th- years, the new CEO? Yeah,
2: I know. I want to V Diggs to be the new Sam Healy. <laughs> oh <my God.
0: laughs> well, and you know, bring in Pippa Sue because we've got so many Juilliard grads in there already. Yeah, yeah, true. So, yeah, okay, co signed. Let's bring in the cast of Hamilton.
3: <laughs> Do a musical
2: episode. Yes, I suggested <laughs> that.
3: No, let's do <laughs> the musical
1: That's episode. two people that want a musical episode. <laughs> yeah.
2: <or leave> <laughs> writers, we know you're still listening.
0: <laughs> Don't listen to that one, writers, please.
2: <laughs> oh, man.
1: So, uh, yeah, I think um, I'm tentatively ready to close the book um i think uh if we're able if you know if we see the need for a feedback episode uh we're happy to jump on and do another uh but i think this is pretty much Orange is the new black
0: season four i i would agree i think we're ready to close the book on this so we can dive into our various administrative spiels if you like what you've heard we love your feedback wherever you leave it you can leave it on postshowrecaps.com in the comments section to the episodes you can tweet at us, actually you could tweet at all four of us, we'd love that, I know it messes up your character count, but um, please tweet at all of us, Um, I am at Haymaker Hattie, I am at Taylor Cotter Uh, I am, am
2: oh (laughs) (laughs) say the go ahead, go ahead Lita (laughs)
3: Um, I am at uh,
2: newsaf underscore intern and I am at a Mike Bloom type So
0: many, many Twitter accounts to send your twits to. Um, And you can also leave us reviews in the iTunes store, and those help us out a lot because, you know, when Taylor and I first started doing this, we were basically the only game in town. Nobody was podcasting about Orange is the New Black. We cracked the top 20 in the iTunes store for no apparent reason. And now everybody podcasts about everything all the time. So the more reviews you leave, the easier it is for other people to find us, and the better product we end up delivering because, you know, we feed off of the attention from our audience. So we would very much appreciate that um we need to find a hashtag because this is our longest podcast all season and we need to know if people got all the way to the end so anybody got anything
3: (laughs) there was uh there's something that mike bloom said that i laughed at (laughs) you you do it mike
2: (laughs) uh i don't know we could do hashtag seeing red that the unintentional pun yeah. that I made uh, when yes, I was talking yes. about uh, Crazy Eyes and I guess while, while we're also on I, I want to take the opportunity to also say like thank you Taylor and Jess not only for having Lita and I on but also for your great coverage this season I feel like the more this cast grows and the more complicated these stories get I, I, I become more and more grateful to listen to two great people disseminate everything that's going on with this show so major kudos to you guys and I'm excited to hear your coverage of season 5
3: Thank yeah, you, I'm signing on to that. Mike and I wrote that together. <laughs> yeah, we said at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we, we worked on that because I am also a good and grateful guest.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, we are thrilled to have you and uh, hope to talk to
0: you next season. Yeah, and thanks to everyone for tuning in and we will see you next year for season five. Yeah, hashtag seeing red. The
1: second time
2: around and you-